Welcome back to a new Traders and Podcast Improved Podcast with Moritz. As you can see, hi Moritz, how are you? Hi, I'm good. I'm good. I woke up at 4:30. Workout, run, watch list. Now it's 10:30, and I'm almost done with my day. <laughs> I woke up at five, but by accident because my dog threw up a very big nut, and yeah, and then I decided, okay, let's just stay up because Moritz is up already, and yeah, it's not too bad actually. Right. <laughs> so um, I, so last week's um, YouTube and podcast we did, we had a lot of emails and comments come in. So thank you for that. And I picked a few questions for today's topic, uh, for this podcast. And we're going to talk about how to deal with losses, how we get out of losing streaks, how to backtest the trading strategy, what we do to get better, and all of those good things. And if you want us to talk about your questions or topic ideas leave it in the comments below wherever you're watching or listening to this and we will do that in next week's episode so yeah let's just get started right away what is your or how do you deal with losses what is your approach well for me personally i don't one loss doesn't really have any impact on me Two losses, three losses, four losses, five losses in a row. That's all of that is quite normal. And it doesn't really uh, rattle me at all anymore after so many years of trading. I think it's just like my mindset right now is, okay, this is just part of the cost of trading. It's cost of business, right, to me. Um, obviously, it still sucks if you lose. Um, but you have to minimize your emotions. Like you cannot completely kill your emotions because we are not machines, right? But when you have a big losing streak, you should feel about the same as when you have a big winning streak. Um, simply know that it's part of your stats. And um, as long as you are inside, if you look at your journal and your back tests and everything, and as long as you're still inside your historical values, everything is okay. And when you get outside of those historical values, for example, there's the saying, the biggest drawdown is always in front of you. <laughs> yeah. And it's true. I mean, once you reach that record drawdown, then you need to have some fail-safe switches in place where you um, have predefined in your trading plan what you're going to do once you hit that. For example, um, stop trading, try to figure out what's what and so on. But uh, how do I deal with losses? The, the answer is I don't deal with them at all because I don't have to deal with them because they are part of my job. I mean, same as winnings. I, I win more often than I lose. My win rate is between 50 and 70 percent. It's like swinging over time. Um, so I win a little bit more often than I lose. And I, I win more <clears throat> when I win than I lose. But um, <clears throat> losses are just part of trading. <laughs> no need to deal with them. Right. right. Yeah, I guess the problem is mostly for people who are um, not consistent, who maybe are just starting out as a trader, and then they don't really know what to expect from their trading system. So they don't have any historical data probably, and they don't have developed the coping mechanism. So mm. is there something that you did in the beginning that really made a difference? Mm. Like in the beginning, I definitely had some trouble 
as well, dealing with the losing uh, losses. Um, but what I did is that I backtested my system over a time frame of five years. So all the 28 majors uh, in Forex that I trade, I backtested them, all of them over five years. And then I had so much data, uh, there was like uh, 600 trades or so. I had so much data that I exactly knew what to expect going forward if I don't let my psychology screw up the training process. Right. So that's, that's what I did and I knew my biggest historical drawdown <clears throat> from backtesting and I knew my um, biggest uh, losing streak and that really helped me going forward because I knew, okay, I now had three, four losses in a row. Uh, looking back at my backtests, uh, that's really nothing to worry about. It happens uh, like two or three times uh, a year and just keep going, stick to the process, right? Right. So this brings me to a very interesting point because I am on the record on this podcast saying that I don't really believe in yeah, backtesting. I know, I know. <laughs> so this is a... And I, I, I retracted a little bit after thinking about it because there's definitely some value in demo trading, but it is not, I think, what people think they often use it for. It's not for completely, you cannot, well, the most important and obvious thing is obviously that you cannot expect the same results you see in your demo and your backtest in the live markets. I think this is where many people go wrong because they want to, confirm that they can be profitable and then they just transfer to live accounts. Whereas everything that, or most of the things that are hard in trading are excluded to some degree in, in a backtest or in a demo. Um, it depends obviously on how you do the backtest. If you always just fast forward um, and you eliminate all the problems with managing trades and holding time, then maybe it's even less important. So yeah, what is your take and what is how do you do backtesting? Yeah, well, obviously what you said is is, uh, is completely true because in backtesting you don't have the time factor. And the time factor is really what screws people over usually. Like when you're waiting for a trade and you get your FOMO, when you're in a trade for, I don't know, 48 hours or three, four days, <laughs> and it really messes with your head. And uh, in backtesting you just press space four times and then you fast forward for bars and that's it. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, that's the that's the point. Patience, which I think most people say it's one of the hardest things in trading is not present in backtesting or it's not challenged in backtesting. Exactly. Yeah. So it's a totally different experience, of course. But backtesting for me is just there to prove that there is an edge to a strategy. There is a potential edge to a strategy. And I don't believe in that edge, obviously, until I have forward tested the strategy. So I won't go like, okay, now I've backtested five years, I made money, now I'm a winning trader. <laughs> That's not going to happen. When I create a new strategy um, or I make adjustments to my existing strategy, I always forward tested for 50 to 100 trades to really confirm, okay, this is also working under live conditions. Uh, both I didn't make a mistake in the back test, uh, could always happen, or I cannot handle the strategy in real time psychologically. So those are the two things that you have to then do a forward test. But back testing really helps me to um, yeah, see whether there is an initial edge with the strategy that I can refine, right? Right. So pretty much 
you want to see that after well 100 100 200 300 trades you have a positive outcome yeah. and then it's not too close to break even so that if you factor on commissions and potential mistakes it's it's potentially negative so that's the idea of backtesting yeah exactly and also of course uh, like technical analysis uh, this with systematic discretionary trading style is of course very uh, pattern recognition based so obviously when you already saw two three four hundred trades and how they play out uh, definitely something is going to click in your brain and you're going to get a lot of experience related to pattern recognition much faster when you do backtesting as opposed to trading three or four years to get the same amount of trades in so you see simply many more trades in a much shorter amount of time playing out and that also gives you confidence when you manage your trades um, because you know okay most of the trades they don't go to take profit in a straight line <laughs> they always go like this right and that's what people really have a hard time with and then when you see that a hundred times in backtesting you're like okay i've seen this before chill out stick to your plan that's it right, right. so while backtesting it's also important then to keep records of your trades so yeah definitely just like normal journaling right. uh, i use edgewonk for exactly the same edgewonk journal for backtesting and for my live trading so i have exactly the same stats so it's a very time intense process of course mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> but yeah it definitely helps a lot right. are you using any software for backtesting and or how do you do that it's I because use... i think people are always interested in the specifics yeah, I used to use a Forex tester. Right, yeah. Um, but nowadays I use TradingView mostly because the replay functionalities are so good now. Uh, the only thing that's still missing from TradingView is that you can play back multiple charts <laughs> at the same right. time. Yeah. But besides that, it's pretty good. And on the lower time frames, they only have minor amount of data. Um, but if you backtest anything like one hour charts and higher, really really good just use trading view yeah. yeah the new replay function i think it's not in the free plan but it's really a good it's also what i use it for is at the end of the week i when i review some trades or some mm. setups i will just set the replay feature to that bar and to see was this a trade that i should have taken or did i just miss it or is it just with the benefit of hindsight it is visible and it's it's quite a it's really a good feature i think yeah, I like that a lot. Um, I do the same when I do the weekly review, that you simply set your chart to the point where the trade would have triggered, because in real time, charts look so different than yeah. in hindsight, Right. <laughs> especially with the um, scales and everything, yeah. uh, everything can look so different. Um, yeah, so in the end um, of the week, I do that, basically backtest the week again, then I have a benchmark against which I can measure my real-time trading. That's really right. helpful. Yeah. And that's, that's also why we have in Edgewonk the, the missed trades feature. Yeah. So that is something that people should really utilize, I think, to a very deep extent because it's, it's very helpful to see because many people think they miss trades, but when they look at it, often the trades are only visible in hindsight. Maybe they happen during the night, so it's not practical for them to trade it, or they just, or they have a problem in their routine, um, which is the thing they need to fix. But the other two, if they see, okay, those trades that I think that I miss are actually not trades that I can take, 
it can help you as well with your with your um, confidence. Yeah, yeah, FOMO as well. Uh, like this, this helped me a lot in the beginning as well. With FOMO was to record trades that I want to take. Yeah. But I don't feel good taking them. Like yeah. <laughs> the very close ones. So when I'm not 100% confident in the setup, okay, what do I do? I don't take it, but I put it into the mistrades and edge wonk, and then I can later find out whether my decision making is actually saving or losing me money. Right. Right. That was actually my next question. Do you still have FOMO? <laughs> uh, not really. Like really, really rarely. So in maybe a month ago or so, there was a there was a window of time where I didn't have a trade for two weeks or so. But I did my watch list every day, every day, every day. And I didn't trade for 10 days, 10 trading days. And then there was a trade coming up which looked perfect. It looked really good. And I was waiting for it for two or three days. And you can imagine the emotional buildup if you didn't trade for two, two weeks. Right. Yeah. And uh, then it, like, it almost triggered but it didn't really trigger. And I got in one bar too early and of, of, obviously it turned against me. So <laughs> that was the the last time I experienced FOMO, but usually it doesn't happen. Maybe yeah, one time a year or so, like this one. I immediately got out though because I recognized my mistake, so I lost 0.2 R, So, but I was still pissed at myself. Right, yeah, I can imagine. And in the beginning, how did you deal with FOMO? I remember I had... FOMO was not one of my biggest issues. My biggest issue that I didn't want to take a loss. And I, in the beginning, I always kept widening my stop loss bit by bit by bit. <laughs> uh, and that that was really my my worst thing that I kept doing for a long time. But FOMO was never never a big thing. What was your, how did you deal with FOMO if you had an early on? I think because that's most of the people listening, they're still probably early in their development. Mm. What would you recommend to a trader that's just starting and has FOMO? Yeah, definitely record the trades that you do not take and uh, make a database and ev replay every week as well. At the end of every week, go over every instrument that you trade, see whether there were trades that you did not take or trades that you did take, and then it will all come together finally. So the trades that you missed, the trades that you should have taken but didn't take, the trades that you took but you should not have taken, you have the whole package. <laughs> in one at the end of a week and then it will all make sense and then the next week you will have a little bit less formal and less and less and less because eventually you will realize that you will only make money in trading when you stick to your process 100% <clears throat> and you have zero formal um, stuff like that so I mean for me the biggest problem was not even formal it was trade management I wanted to get out of the trades very quickly like I was 0.5 R in a profit. Okay, take it. <laughs> yeah. That was my biggest problem in the beginning. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, I remember in the beginning, I didn't have a trading office. I had just a trading corner. And what I would do is I print out the best trades and wrote down what those, uh, those trades, uh, what they have in common. So that when I was trading, I could always look at them and I could see, okay, does this look similar to what I printed out or is mm -hmm. it not similar? That is, uh, I think I've seen people do that. It's, it's very important. But before that, you really need to make sure you have a system, uh, which is what many traders actually skip. They they don't have like a set of rules. They just trade 
based on gut feel, which is just yeah. excuse to trade random trades. So I think the first step is to really have a set of, of rules that help you find repeatable trades, um, which is one of the most important things. Because in the end, it's the, that's how statistics play out. If all your trades look differently, then obviously there's no common ground and then you cannot find out what works well, what doesn't, and it's all just based on, on luck. Exactly, yes. And oh, that, that's also one point I forgot about backtesting is obviously when you backtest, you should um, make it realistic to your actual trading times, right? Yeah. Because it could actually be that all your trading time, all your winning trades are in the Asian session. <laughs> but you never trade the Asian session. Right. And then you go live and you lose a lot of money. So, yeah. Yeah, that's true. You need to keep it realistic to as as realistic as it gets to a real life trading. Yeah. What was your because that's something that I got asked quite a bit. What was your biggest failure or your biggest struggle in your trading career until now? <laughs> My biggest failure. I didn't really have super big failures because I knew risk management already from poker. So obviously I busted one or two accounts in the beginning. Right. Um, the one account I still remember, I put $1,000 in it. And my strategy was to have a 200 pips stop. And if I reach that 200 pips stop, I go bust. So, right. <laughs> that oh, was the strategy. No. <laughs> so I basically didn't have a stop loss. It was marching call or winning winning trade. And yeah. I, I back I back tested it and it worked perfectly. And it why did it work perfectly? Because I always back tested the same data set again and again mm -hmm. and again. Yeah. And I learned the trades by heart. Right. I was basically fooling myself. Right. And then I went live and the first trade obviously my account went bust. So <laughs> <laughs> so it was like three months or so of work down the down the gutter right. and I was like okay this sucks I have to stop fooling myself so that was my biggest uh, disaster in trading I think three months of work for nothing yeah, well not for nothing because I gained this insight actually but that sucked <laughs> yeah yeah that sounds very familiar what I did is I had a uh... A breakout martingale system. <laughs> <laughs> and what I was doing is I was looking at, I'm not sure which pair it was, um, but I was looking at the overnight range. Yeah. And then I was measuring the range. And then I have my my buy limit and my sell stop below and above the, the range. And um, I would I would just always double when the price, when it broke out to the top, but it fell back and I was closing the trade at one random point and then get onto the opposite position with twice the risk. Oh, okay. And it worked a few times. I yeah. I made a good amount of money. And then, yeah, obviously this one trade comes and you're just screwed. <laughs> that was a, that was my, my biggest, well, it's not a, it was not a huge account, but it's, yeah, it's, I think it's just something that people go through. Yeah, probably. I mean, that's also the hard part when you already make money with this approach. Maybe it works for two or three months and then you go bust one time. You say, well, okay, let's try again. Maybe yeah, yeah, and then you don't double it, but you make it like 1.5 X the position <laughs> size. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> learning from losses, I think is, 
something that many people don't fully do. Many people say, yeah, losses are part of the game and it's my tuition to the markets. Mm-hmm. But in the end, they don't they don't learn probably also because many people don't have like a feedback loop. And then obviously, well, ask yourself right now, do you remember your last 10 trades? Obviously you don't. I don't even remember the last four or five trades, barely, no, not no. even close. I remember the last two or three, that's it. Yeah, I remember the last two. Yeah, but that's it. So, and then obviously if you cannot answer this question, then you're not going to, you're not going to learn anything long-term and then you're just doomed to repeat it um, over and over and over again. Yeah. So there's a question which I think is very interesting in this um, context. What is the advice you think you're, because you're now in your 30s, what is the advice you think your 50-year-old self um, would give yourself right now? My 5-0 or 1-5? Yeah, 5-0, 50. My 50-year-old self. Okay. What would you think he would like you to do right now? To put you in a good spot, but maybe also enjoy the life, but also prepare for success? What do you think you value at 50? <laughs> I mean... That's always the thing, right? I mean, when you're, when you're, that's, I think about that a lot, not when I'm 50, but I think about what will I think about my life when I'm close to death. Maybe I'm 80 and I'm in my deathbed, I'm thinking back on my life. Then obviously I'm not going to think, I wish I had put more time into work, but I'm also not, um, maybe I will think, however, I wish I had been more successful in this or that because I had worked more. So that, that's always those two extremes yeah. that uh, everyone wants to achieve something in their life. Everyone. Uh, no one can tell me they don't have ambitions. Just they are too scared or yeah. too coward to admit it. But everyone has ambitions. And if you don't reach those ambitions or dreams or whatever, obviously you kind of wasted your life and you only have one shot. So what I would uh, tell myself, like... When, when I'm 50 is uh, make sure that you're on track with uh, what you want to achieve in life. Um, make sure that it makes you proud when you look back on it. And, but at the same time, don't forget to live in the moment. Like don't always live in the future because that's the worst you can do. Uh, like when I have this and that, then I'm gonna be happy. When I reach this goal, then I'm gonna be happy, all that bullshit. You, you really have to live in the moment enjoy the journey, enjoy the ride, have a good time with your family and friends, and at the same time, get a lot of work done so that when you're 80, you can actually say, okay, I have seen it all, I have done it all, I have talked to everyone, (laughs) Uh, I tasted all the good foods, I saw all the amazing beaches in the world, I had the best drinks, I maybe wrote a book, I uh, made a lot of money, maybe I had a family, like, those are all things that you can be proud of because they are experiences, right? I think. Yeah. Experiences yeah. are so, so important. Right. I think, um, first of all, you don't watch enough German trash TV. There are clearly people who have no ambitions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but, yeah, second, I think when people say when you're at your deathbed, you don't wish that you have, would have worked more. I think this is not true. Um, because I definitely think there are people who say that, well, obviously not for the sake of working and spending time in front of the screens, but obviously 
if you cannot take of yourself, then you cannot take uh, uh, care of the people around you. Mm. So you should make a lot of money so that you can enable your, your wife, your kids, your grandkids, whoever, um, some good causes that you want to donate money, where you want to make a difference. Obviously, um, you can only make a difference, or the best, the biggest impact today is making impact with, with your money. So I think it's not as as cliche as people always say. I think you need to find a way to make meaningful work, I think, that is also satisfying your your needs and all your yeah, all your parts inside of you instead of um, I think living without regrets in that context is what is always driving me. Yeah. I'm maybe a little bit extreme when I want to do something and I just do it right now. If it wasn't for Corona, I would be in Thailand like months ago and that's how I, I did everything. When I when I wanted to to quit my job and move to Asia, um, I just I just bought a ticket at the same day, sent my passport to Vietnam, uh, to the embassy, and I moved like 10 days later. Um, and when I wanted to come back to to Germany to have a, another change of lifestyle, I just, I moved like three or four days after I decided it. I think not having regrets is, and putting yourself out there is really important. I think that's probably what I would tell myself, just don't live with regrets, whatever you want to do, just do it and trust in yourself that you will figure it out. Mm -hmm. I think that's uh, that's what I've learned. I've been thinking about this since I was 16. That's when I lived in Canada for a year. It was my high school. The teacher asked, so who wants to go to, to, Canada, to Canada and live with a random family and go to a high school? And my English was really bad at that time. And my hand immediately went up. I didn't know why. I just felt that it was maybe a cool idea. And ever since then, I figured out that I just, you'll figure it out eventually. You will just, you will make it. There's, it's not, there's not something that, well, it's a good set of belief to have. I think that you believe in yourself and that you experience that you can, that whatever is thrown at you in life, you can handle it somehow. It might not even, might not always be good, but you will, you will get through this. It's not going to kill you and you're not going to live in the, in the streets or something like that. <laughs> yeah yeah and I never had that worry that I'm gonna end up in the streets because in Germany at least you get social <laughs> yeah it wasn't I didn't mean it literally but uh, yeah just you'll figure it out no matter what how hard you think some something is and uh, we always have those we create those bad images what could happen what may happen you yeah. will figure it out in the end that's believe in yourself is a is a very very important um, belief in general to have I think yeah, I like what you say about the uh, meaningful work, uh, because actually where where I got that was uh, my cousin is working on the um, on the how do you say that in in English the cancer station in the hospital. I don't know, and he he's talked to many many people, and none of them ever said like like they're all shortly before dying, and all of them say I wish I had spent more time with more family. You know, no one of them says I wish I had worked more. But I think it's also because most of the people these days, they don't have a meaningful job. Like, obviously, if you talk to an artist or an actor, musician, I don't know, I maybe many of them will say, I wish I had spent more time on my work because there are so many things I still want to do and uh, to, to, to give to the world and to express myself. 
Um, but obviously, if you have a messed up nine to five office job, that's a completely different picture. So yeah, like you have to find meaningful work, 100%. And it's not it's not always easy to and it's not for, it's not possible for everyone um, because they don't have the resources to find <clears throat> meaningful work. Right. But uh, on the other hand, you could also put meaning in the work. For example, I go to the sauna almost every day, and there are like four people who do the the thing where you put the water, the water on the stones and throw the towel. And obviously that's a pretty dull job, but there's one where well, there are two guys and one guy is everybody in the sauna loves him. They are always asking, all the guests are asking for the guy. When are you coming? When you're doing your thing? Because he's just, he's happy. He's talking to the guests and such a guy, he will have so, when there's a, a new spot available in a higher position, obviously uh, he will be considered probably among the first ones for that for that position. Mm. So I think, and I, I read that in, in other books before as well, when you put, when you really put your heart into it and you look for, for a meaning that you can give your job, and if it's just to have fun and a good time and make bring a, a smile to the people, then I think that is also going to help you just be better and then it, it will open other, other doors. There's a woman here in the supermarket, she's, I don't know, 100, uh, she's really, really old. And uh, but she's so super nice. She's very slow. When you go to the to her checkout lane, it takes forever. But she's just super friendly. She's super nice. She remembers the customers, even though it's a it's a very big city, obviously in Frankfurt. But mm -hmm. she remembers the people. She's talking to them, and she's just <clears throat> putting a smile in your face. And uh, I always go to her checkout lane just because uh, it's much it's a much nicer experience to to have. And I, I'm sure she has a much nicer day as well because people are. Are friendly to her and they're talking with a smile and they're just in general happy compared to the other people who just take your stuff smash it on a scanner and then throw it in your in your in your direction yeah i agree so, you can you can yeah pretty much every job probably can be done in a meaningful way uh, and also it's true like as you do one thing is as you do everything so right. uh, if, if you have a job that you really hate and you don't want to do it anymore then you, you only have two choices in the end right either you change your attitude uh, or you change your job but just sitting there and hating your life forever is gonna make everyone miserable including you everyone around you so yeah definitely. because it will carry over into your into your non-work life as well yeah, yeah. when 100%. you're pissed at work you will come home pissed then you're pissed at your wife she's pissed at you <laughs> and at the end it doesn't end well yeah, exactly. Yes, I agree. <laughs> so the last question that I have for you, which I really like is what are you doing these days to get better as a trader, but also in general? <clears throat> to get better as a trader? Well, I always love to try out new things and new routines. So I have this routine. I do that for a week, maybe. Then I get bored of it, then I do a different routine like that. So I always try out new things and see whether it improves my overall well-being because that also helps my trading, of course. And uh, yeah, I think most important is um, always be curious, super, super curious about uh, everything in life. Only when it comes to your trading, stick to yourself. <laughs> I have... Uh, for many years, I have read many, many books and um, tons. I learned tons of strategies from other traders as well, just because I was always curious. 
Um, but these days, I just simply don't care anymore. Like, and that has really made a huge impact on my performance. You know, when I stop looking at what other traders are doing, I'm not even interested in what they are doing. I don't. I really don't care anymore. And uh, I only focus on my trading. It really improves my results a lot. <laughs> that was uh, one of those aha moments. <clears throat> Um, yeah, what else am I doing? Meditation. By the way, this is exactly, I'm not, I'm doing this in trading and in other areas that I just don't care anymore at all what people may say or think or do or expect from you. Yeah. And it's a big, it's a big relief actually. It's very, very, it frees up a lot of um, mental capital, yeah, resources. You can tackle things differently. Oh, I listened to one of the old Josh Waitzking podcasts on Tim Ferriss. And he was, after he was a chess champion and jujitsu and push hands, he got into this uh, foiling, this, you know, the surfing with a fin and you stand out of the water. Mm -hmm. And he was really getting into it, like really seriously. And he was at a, at a popular beach where there are lots of surf pros and Instagram guys. <laughs> and he said he can approach the learning of surfing and just getting better very differently because he doesn't have to worry what he has to post on Instagram. So he could look really stupid during his practice. He could do the same stupid practice routine for days and days and days. And in the short term, he would not be able to show big progress. But over the long term, he can really focus on the foundations, whereas the other guys, they always have to, to do something to impress their followers. And which is always obviously not not essentially or necessarily the the best way to get better if you just have to show off tricks um, that are yeah that are just not geared towards long term learning. So I think that's mm -hmm. that's really cool if you can just just get away from and not just it's really hard just not care about what other people think. And I think it starts. Well, there are many ways how it starts, but one big thing is that you, how you approach your social media, I think, is for many people, what do you expect when you upload a, or what is your, what's your reason for uploading a photo? Is it just to make people jealous? Or what is the, because that's essentially what most people, what most people do. They take 10 pictures, one looks maybe half good, then they edit it, and then they make a, a caption that is just trying to trigger other people. Um, sure, and they want a lot of likes too. Exactly, yeah. So I think getting away from this mindset will help you a lot in your trading as well when you don't get your ego mixed up in, in this process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I also realized that as I started trading uh, money for other people, I suddenly my, like my ego was out of trading, and as soon as I started trading money for other people, my ego came back into trading. Because now suddenly every trade that I take is essentially uh, an extension of my skill set, of my personality, of how people see me like that, right? So every little trot on the head, I was like, oh my God, now they think I'm an idiot like right. that. So this is something that you, I really had to overcome as well. Right. Uh, it took me a bit of time, but now it's okay. And uh, yeah, in the end, it's it's all about how you think other people perceive you, uh, your ego <laughs> telling you you're not good enough for other people and all that stuff. That's horrible. <laughs> That's also, I think, why it's not helpful for your own development to post traits on social media. Yeah. 
because there's no benefit from it. You are just going to end up defending your position. You're not going to take the loss, maybe, because it proves that your idea was not correct. And yeah. I think this is, uh, yeah, your greatest trading persona that you have to defend for, because it's you identify with it, and that's how the ego work, I think. So agree, agree. I showed you my equity curve this morning, and uh, I was thinking about, should I post it on social media and then I said no no way actually it's a really stupid idea because people are going to come around what you only made so much money uh, what you made uh, only so much percentage uh, I thought you're a billionaire um, even though my equity curve is like hidden brag it's really good it's never gonna be good enough for the haters out there so all that is going to happen from that is that the haters come out of their shitholes and start hating. So I was like, "Nah, I'm good." <laughs> yeah. And or people would say it's it's Photoshop. Yeah, that's yeah, the, of course. That's of the other. Course. <laughs> but I think because we went to Van Tharp in last year, mm. um, and I really like his approach that he distinguishes between useful and non-useful beliefs. beliefs or things. And I think you can categorize many things in in useful or not useful when you look at doing something like that and you ask yourself is it is it really useful for for my long-term development or is it not useful and then you can see at it as it clearer and i think beliefs are yeah beliefs are obviously as well this classification or differentiation is it's really helpful yeah and and yeah i think 95 percent of beliefs are in the end not really useful <laughs> yeah and as as the research said it's and i can really attest to that it's just out of those 95%, I think like 90% is always the same stuff that you keep repeating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I, yeah, again, I think what I've been doing lately is tr I try to get away as much as possible just to to focus on, like to do more introspection, to do to just observe what is going on in my mind and just trying to, I'm trying out ways how to improve the inner inner monkey talk Mm. Um, and I'm just trying, yeah, I'm trying new routines, new how sports impacts my mood and at what times and how do I create a better routine, how food and other intakes, sun intake. I've seen that recently again. Now it's it's like way too hot in Germany, but at least it's it's sunny. Yeah. But I, when you go out, I go out in the morning with my dog um, and I take her for 20 minutes in the morning and I get a lot of sun. It does definitely change my, my mood. Um, with good music in in my ears, it's it's making a big difference compared to if you don't do it, if you just start your training day. And what I found is that podcasts, I love podcasts, mm -hmm. but they're not they're often not helpful. They are you need to to give your mind pause and rest to just not mm -hmm. always have input. I think this is one That's of the it. biggest realizations that I've had. Okay. Yeah, I was always wondering how, how can you, uh, you were even listening to podcasts while you were working at the same time. And I was like, oh my God, how, how does this guy get so much input? Like I listen to one podcast a week and that's enough for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I turn on, I, I used to turn on podcasts when I was doing like this mundane, repetitive work. Yeah. But I figured even then it's it's just nicer to just focus on the work because then you hear a phrase and you don't catch it really, then you have to go to that, skip, um, rewind it, and then it's just a huge waste of time and your resources. So yeah, this is one thing that I've seen a lot is uh, really taking care of yourself 
it makes a big difference in your productivity and your happiness and mm. just limiting the input amount i think it's it's the key nice yeah. yeah multitasking i've never been a big fan of multitasking i tried it sometimes but just never works for me even when i listen to music i don't like yeah sometimes i listen to music while i'm working but not always or when i'm driving my car i like to only focus on driving the car and not listening to music um, because it's also a kind of a meditation and gets your brain spinning and when i listen to music i sit in my chair and uh, sit there for 30 minutes maybe with a whiskey and i only listen to music and really enjoy it so that's yeah. just so much more powerful and such you will have so much more joy from the experience if you really focus on one thing yeah 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 that's really true and i think it's a good good thought to leave our our listeners with <laughs> yeah i so hope they, they didn't do anything else while listening to this yeah <laughs> or you just do it uh, take it as an advice for the future just yeah it's it's really a powerful thing limit the input and just appreciate one thing at a time mm -hmm. all right so thank you moritz for your time once again um we will meet next week hopefully yeah and for everybody that is listening or watching to this, leave a comment wherever you are consuming this. Let us know what you want us to talk about. Any questions, topics are always very welcome. So, Marz, enjoy your weekend. Yeah, you and too. And I will catch up with you soon. Yeah, ciao.